So this morning we've got Pierre coming to preach. I know that we all know Pierre, but I want to tell you something, that Pierre has spent the week this week up in Pretoria, shame, his hometown, but also he's been there actually uh, at a church planting school and encouraging people to do what we talk about every Sunday, plant churches, reach souls. And so he's, uh, he's worked hard this week, and it's just a privilege that his, this is his response. He wants to come and share the word. So... Pierre, may you be strengthened as you share the word Thank this you, morning, Pete. and may it come with wisdom and with passion and conviction. Amen. 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 Um, ek, ek het die vorige gehad om met my pa en my ma te keir in Pretoria. <laughs> was fantasties. Thank you, Jesus, for the Western Cape accent, right? Uh, it was 37 degrees Celsius, and we were in a non-aircond room deliberating over future church planters. I tell you, it was rough, but it's great to be back where it's semi-spring uh, still. So um, I'm excited to share the word. There's a deep word in my heart this morning, but before I do, I want to remind you that after the service today, we have a 3D Sunday moment. Uh, some of you have registered for this. This is a journey where we take you through understanding what it is to be part of this church, to be a member of this church. If you haven't registered and you're here and you want to stay for this 45-minute moment this morning after the service, please do. For those of you who are joining us, right next door behind the bathrooms is the lecture hall. So 10, 15 minutes after the service, we'll meet you there. There's some coffee, something to snack on. Children, oh, they're not here. I can't speak to the kids. Don't let your children come and steal the food from the guest who's attending 3D Sunday, okay? <laughs> it's good food, so don't let them come and steal it. Um, if you didn't plan lunch and you just want to come for a free meal, no. We'll discern that until you go home and find something else to eat. So 3D Sunday after the service, I'll remind you again at the end. Um, then we're busy with a series called Out in the Open. We've been going through First Peter, talking about what it is to live out in the open what it is to live this Christian walk out there. And uh, we've been pointing you guys towards this, but we're actually not going to gather on Sunday the 30th of October in here. We are going to have what we're going to call a scatter Sunday, where we, the church, will go, just take back, I'll get to that, I don't want them to read that and not listen to the heart, thank you, where we, the church, will go to various places across our basin and intentionally position ourselves at places where we get to share Jesus, His love, and the gospel with others. We are, have been and we still are deliberating uh, for various places where this will take place. Um, we hope that we can create enough environments for you to register and sign up to where you will be going on that Sunday. But I wanted to point you to a few this morning, just get your hearts excited about what we're actually going to do on this morning. And then next week, importantly, you've got to be here next week to receive the full plan, um, to know where we are going on the 30th. Um, we will also take the week between the 30th and the 23rd next week to really talk through all of these moments and what it is going to look like. So over to the list. Thank you very much. First of all, we're going to have a God test station at the sanctuary. This is so cool. We have the sanctuary shopping center in the middle of it. We've got space to do the God test with people. The God test is on an app that you take people through questions to see where they are in their beliefs of God. It's very neutral, and at some point, it becomes an opportunity to share the gospel. So if you are one of those people that loves engaging people at that level, talking to them, asking questions, the app is amazing. It takes you through the whole journey. You don't have to prepare much other than just leaning in on the Holy Spirit in that moment. This is for you. Um, those that will sign up for the God test, uh, we're going to take you through a training um, I'll be there myself on this specific morning um, to make sure that we do this one really well because this is a great opportunity. So we will be those people that people usually run away from in a shopping center that wants to sell you sea rescue funds and these kind of things, you know? But I believe that the Holy Spirit and the Father will draw people to us on that morning and we're going to engage with them. Uh, then we're going to have an open-air gathering with a guitar and a few voices and prayer just on the beach in Gordon's Bay. Just coming together, singing together, gathering together, and seeing what God does in that moment. So like a mini outside church service, uh, like Eliana described 
in prayer this morning when Jesus was just out on the beach gathering with his people. So that's going to take place. We're going to have two various prayer groups. One will be at the Seattle Coffee at Food Lovers Market, where there will be a small team. This is a limited one of people at the tables ready to pray for people who need prayer. And then we're going to do another prayer venue still to be confirmed we will put up a banner that just says, if you need prayer, come here. And there will people, be people to pray for others. The youth is going to have a volleyball tournament on Strand Beach. So this is great. The idea is not just for our youth to have a fun time, but it's to invite their friends at school who is not part of youth or not believers and say, hey, we're going to go play volleyball on the beach. Do you want to come join us? And there's an opportunity for the youth to connect with their friends around Jesus. This one specifically, I want to ask and invite some young adults to join this one, uh, to help with those conversations, to be there around the kids. Sorry, old adults, we want to connect with the youth. So you are out of that one, and I include myself in there. (laughs) And then lastly, we have, by God's amazing grace, and through the hearts of Carl and Markham and Calvin and everyone at the Waterworld Slides, They've given us a bracket from 9 to 11 to get a two-hour ticket at a one-hour rate for the water slides. Now, here's the catch. (laughs) The idea is that you would go to the water slides instead of church. Isn't that cool, right? Take your kids, but bring a non-believing family along and tell them, hey, we want to bless you at the water slides. Come and slide with us for two hours. So you guys are noticing we've got to intercede for amazing weather this day. But... On the day, if you come there and you say, I'm here for Scatter Sunday, you'll get a reduced rate to pay. And then the opportunity is there, yes, to water slide, but it's, a, it's an intentional space to connect with a family from school or a family from work or whatever it is. And the heart is that we take these moments and trust the Holy Spirit to get to a place where we can share the gospel. So on that, let's look at the gospel again as Stephen comes and join me. We've been going through what is the gospel. If you still want what is the gospel cards after the service, come and take some here. But let's read it together again this morning. What is the gospel? One, two, three. The gospel is the good news that God gave a man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, rose from the dead, proving he is the Son of God and offers the free gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins to everyone who repents and believes in him. So over the past few weeks, every moment before we preach, one of you have shared with us one of the essences of this statement. And this morning, Stephen is going to conclude this for us with the idea of Repent and believe. So over to you. Thanks, Stefan. Morning, family. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk long. I just printed it so big that I don't need my glasses. <laughs> um, I'm one of those older adults now. Um, I think the reason Pierre asked me to, to share a bit this morning was just because he knows a bit of my past. I like to say I was one of those properly unsaved people. You know, I I do everything in good measure. And when I was unsaved, I was making sure that I did it properly. Um, You know, so I always had a belief in God. I was never an atheist. I believed there was a God. So that, you know, that belief part of it was sort of covered. But the belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as the gospel states, wasn't there. And on the 14th of November 2007, I was having coffee with a very tall gentleman and he, he talked and he spoke the gospel to me. And then at the moment, in that moment when I realized that this is truth, this is truth that he's speaking to me, the first thing came into my heart, and it wasn't Jesus standing above me shouting, repent. It was a heart of, I need to repent. And that repent is not just, I'm sorry. That repent is turning your back. That's saying, I cannot be that anymore. Repentance does not mean say sorry. Repentance means I turn away from that which I'm saying I'm sorry for. Mm. That was an incredible part of my journey that I had to understand because you have to understand when people say do the sinner's prayer and walk away, so many times we don't teach change your ways. Jesus said clearly, I look at the, the tree, what fruit do I see? That's the tree that it is. I was a tree that had fraught fruit. A lot of it. I needed to repent 
turn away from the tree that I was, my roots was not in Jesus, and turn away and bear good fruit. And from the good fruit, you could see the action of my repentance, and then I could believe. Because I was made a new creation in Jesus, and I could believe in Jesus. And then every journey from then now, when I go to God and I say to him, I'm so sorry, and I don't want to do this anymore. My belief is also grown that he has forgiven me for that that I was because I repented and turned my back and I could believe. I just want to settle that in, in, in the New Testament. There's 28 matches for the word repent in the New King James Version. Bar one, they either in the Gospels and Acts or Revelations. Repentance is a core being of the gospel. It's a core foundation of turning our backs around. They don't talk in Corinthians. There's none of it in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, James, because it's a core value that Jesus laid down for us. So I want to do just two scriptures, Matthew 21, 32. For John came came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him, And when you had seen it, you did not repent afterwards so that you might believe him. Clearly it says you did not repent, so you couldn't believe. Mark 1.15 saying, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God of God draws near us. Repent and believe the gospel. So guys, that sort of thing where we believe but we just do what we want to do, the word clearly says turn around, turn your back towards those things that you battle with. And through the gospel and the belief in Jesus, you'll be set free. Thank you. Amen. Awesome. Wasn't that wonderful over the past few weeks to hear from each other on this, eh? I've learned so much by just listening in to other people's perspectives on the gospel. And um, as this is the last one, and next week we will go through this again, let's trust the Holy Spirit that it would take deep root in our lives. And that the fluency of sharing it would be effortless. Can we pray for that this morning before we do the word together? Lord Jesus, thank you that you have taken us through this journey of understanding more what your gospel entails. I pray for this church this morning. I pray for all of us, Lord. I pray for myself that the ability to share the gospel, just like Stefan did this morning, would be evident upon all of us. Lord, that we would not rely on our own strength, but let your spirit make it alive to us again a fresh and a new way, and may we be able to live our lives out in the open in such a way that we can give a ready answer to anyone that asks about the faith that we have. We thank you, Jesus, that you've been teaching this to us, continue to do so, and uh, Lord, may this message of the gospel be the best one that we carry every moment of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, I pray that as we open the word today, that you would speak to us and that each one of us would leave here with understanding what your heart is for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Amen. I want to take us back to the second century. So if you want to imagine with me for a moment, uh, kind of something like the Colosseum, a stadium where in the stadium people love to gather to see the gladiators do their sports, to see men do the things that men do and their craziness, and get all excited about this, but this stadium is not only used for good daily entertainment. The stadium is used to kill Christians in the sight of everyone sitting inside of it. So in this stadium this morning that I'm going to describe, and I'm going to take you through a story of something that actually happened, the crowd grew quiet as the proconsul took a stand. And on the opposite eyes, on the opposite side of him, there was a man who lifted his eyes to heaven, 86 years old to be exact, with a small frame, but a spirit so large that all of heaven held its breath. The ill-tempered and much younger proconsul commanded the old man, deny Christ, set yourself at liberty. A few days earlier, Polycarp, the old man, a disciple of the Apostle John, had a dream. And he dreamed that he would be captivated by Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers arrived 
at his house, and not just one or two or a few, but a whole band of heavenly armed soldiers. They arrived at Polycarp, and they found him in his home. His home was so situated in the city that he could have easily found an escape route. The city would have bustled with the arrival of this big band of Roman soldiers, and what are they doing here? And maybe because he's had the dream, he had an opportunity to escape, but he didn't take it. In fact, the writings about Polycarp said he refused, and he said this, the will of God be done. Upon the arrival of his so-called enemies, the old man offered them a meal. He said, let me give you something to eat. It was almost a bargaining tip because he said, I'll give you something to eat if you will give me an hour to pray. So the soldiers, hungry for violence and hungry from their journey that they took to this man's house, was faced off with an old man who was hungry in his spirit. They would not let a moment like this pass without connecting with his creator. He asked for an hour, yet when he stood up under the grace of God, he prayed for two. And it is written by eyewitnesses that he prayed so that some of the Roman soldiers, in their astonishment, repented. And some of them asked, why have we even come up against such a godly and respected old man? You can imagine the scene. One old man, 86 years, and all these Roman soldiers with their weapons trying to catch him. So as Polycarp came near the stadium... Again, this is written down by eyewitnesses. He got close to the place of his execution, and there came a voice from heaven saying, Be strong and show yourself a man, O Polycarp. No one saw where the voice came from, but those of his brethren who was with him all wrote and spoke about it, that they also heard the voice. Back in the stadium, the proconsul exclaimed, deny Christ, or I will let the wild animals devour you. Polycarp was defiant. He would not. The proconsul was frustrated, and he said, deny Christ, or you will be consumed by fire. On which Polycarp responded, you threatened me with fire that burns for an hour, and after a little while, it is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment. But why do you wait? Do as you will. Set me on fire. The proconsul said again, swear and I will set you at liberty. One last try. And the 86-year-old man said this, and it's a famous quote today. Eighty and six years have I served him? He never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? And for those last words, they took his life. To Polycarp, dying because he believed in Jesus was not even a hint of an injustice against him. To him, there was no wrong in it. If God hasn't wronged him for 86 years, why would God wrong him in this moment? So this morning, we're going to talk about suffering. If you've been reading 1 Peter as you were encouraged to read over the past few weeks, you would have noticed that it's woven into the fabric of this whole letter. Every now and again, this theme of suffering comes forward. In fact, it is the New Testament book with the most references to suffering. The book that speaks about this most of all. And we've got to understand that if our lives are out in the open, as we as believers of Jesus live a life in a hostile world out there, we've got to know how we suffer and what suffering looks like for the Christian, so that when the world sees us, they will say, wait a minute, these people take these challenges a little bit differently. I wonder what hope it is that they have in them. 
Peter wants us to understand that suffering is normal. It is normal. It's not abnormal. It's not not to be expected. It is a part of the life, but then not just that. He's not just trying to make a point that you will suffer. He's saying, but when you do, let me help you. Let me help you that you suffer in the right way. And that, I believe, is what's on God's heart for us, his people, this morning. So let's read the text together. 1 Peter 4 is going to be our text. We're going to read verses 1 to 2, and then we're going to jump across to verses 12 to continue our reading. Let's read together. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the, word of, for the will of God. Let's go to verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of other criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and do good. The title of my message this morning is An Unwavering Community. There is a way to suffer that shows the world that our God is good. Think about that for a moment. We just read it. Some of us might not believe it. When our emotions and our stories become involved, it's become really hard to believe it. But the Word of God is true. And I believe as we go through what Peter wrote and how he taught these people how to get to that place, today some of you will be set on a new dawn, as we heard. A new day, a new start to understand that what happens in this life is an opportunity for you to carry in your life the name, that name that we bear, the name of Jesus Christ, in a way that you can show the world just how good he is. Is. Now, before we do, it's important that we understand the theology of suffering. Let's talk about suffering for a moment. And we've got to get this, that suffering is an inescapable human reality because of the effects of sin on God's good creation. Suffering would not have been in our lives if it wasn't for sin, if it wasn't for the fall, if it wasn't for the beginning when man said no to God, I want to be my own God and I want to know what's good and what's evil and I want to choose what I like. And because of that, there's suffering in the world. So if there's any thought in your heart and your soul this morning that God is sitting back and he enjoys this idea of suffering, no, his heart breaks at it because what he created at the beginning, this wasn't part of it. But when sin came, Man started to create a world and rule a world and live in a world where suffering is the outcome when men find themselves as God in their own lives and they abuse and reproach and come against one another. We've got to get this right. This wasn't God's plan. It is a human and an inescapable human reality because of sin at the beginning. There's two kinds of suffering that Peter describes here. He says, there's a suffering because of sin. He says, and don't suffer like that. Don't go through the difficulty and the justice that you're going to go through when you're a murderer or a thief or a criminal or a meddler. Don't do the things in your life that's going to make you criminal in this world because you're going to suffer for that. It's just the way that the, the, the world turns, right? If you do these things, guys, there's going to be suffering. And 
Peter makes sure that that's not the kind of suffering he's speaking about. If you have it in you to turn away from your spouse and fall in love with someone else, there's a whole lot of suffering waiting for you. This is not the suffering <laughs> that Peter is describing. He says, don't suffer like that. Don't suffer with this suffering that's come into this world of sin. But now we do have this. So in other sufferings, as you as a Christian take a stand, as you live out in the open, as you live pure and holy, as you live a good life, as you share this gospel and people laugh at you and they insult you and they say, ah, these Christians, I don't want anything to do with them. Or if you go through trials and tests and fire, do this well. Do it well in such a way that the world will see that God is good. We too, like Polycarp, are on trial. So many moments in our life, other things and voices says, deny Christ. Choose your comfort before Christ. Choose your family before Christ. Choose your career before Christ. Choose your finances and your budget before Christ. Choose your own life and live the dream that you hope to live. Make that more important than Christ. I battle with that sometimes because nowhere in the Bible does I, do I see this idea that we have to have this life dream and God will make it happen. The only dreamer that we can all think about when we think about the Bible is Joseph. And what was his dream about? It was all about the end, protecting the lineage of Christ so that the seed that's going to come change the world will be protected. Not even Joseph's dream was about himself. So like Polycarp, we are on trial so many times when that temptation stands before us and our flesh wants to go there, it says, will you deny Christ? Can we be defiant like this man who says, ah, for 30 and nine years, he has done me no wrong. So I'm not going to deny him. Let us not suffer like that. But when we go through suffering and difficult moments, then too, this voice comes to us. Deny him. Because look at your life. Look at what you got. Can we then too be like Polycarp who says, no, I can find the good of God in this moment. Second part to the theology of suffering that I believe is so important for us to understand his heart is that suffering reminds us that we were created for something more and something else. In the beginning when he perfectly set up this world for us and it was all good, when sin came and suffering came with it, our souls are still desiring that perfect good place. And when we go through moments of suffering, what it does to us is it reminds us that there's still another place for us. That we are sojourners and exiles in this world. And this is what the letter of Peter is all about. So let me help us this morning. I'm going to give you an acrostic or an acronym with the word test. T-E-S-T. -E and I'm going to use this to bring four points across as I found in the scripture that we read today. And if you take time to think about this, remember it and recognize it, I believe that the next time you find yourself in a test or a trial, that God and His glory will come through this for you. The book of Peter opens up in chapter 1 where Peter writes this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In this you rejoice, that you have been grieved by various trials. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea of testing is part of our story, friends. So let's see how we face these tests. And here it is, T-E-S-T, -E the first T, think like Jesus. E, expect hard times. S, Seek an eternity perspective. And T, trust the creator. Can we say that together? First one, think like Jesus. Second, expect hard times. S, seek eternity perspective. And T, 
trust the Creator. And you will see that this comes like that out of our passage in 1 Peter 4 this morning. So let's get into it. First of all, think like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ. So all the opinions out there that's coming against the knowledge of God, of Jesus and his gospel, and then we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Think like Christ when you are in a test. Because when that test comes, all the lofty opinions around you are quickly going to rise. But what I love about the NIV translation, it actually says, have the same attitude as Christ. It's not just thinking, it's a way of acting. It's thinking becoming actions. So it's not just, I've got to think right, I've got to think right. No, you've got to have the right disposition when suffering comes your way. And it's not just an out there abstract concept, but we've got the story of Jesus to look to and we can read his life and we can see that he had a certain attitude towards suffering that we can learn from. So we have to think like him. We've got to have the attitude of Jesus. 1 Peter 4 verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, not as God, in the flesh he suffered, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. The best way I can describe this is imagine Jesus walking with you. If you're following, you don't have to imagine that because that's what he is doing. But imagine you and Jesus walking. And that temptation comes and it's so hard and you want to say yes to it. Imagine Jesus saying, I know. I was tempted too. And you lean into his attitude because he was without any sin. He never said yes to that temptation. Imagine the suffering you go through as friends turning their backs on you. And it's so hot. And they're friends in church. So what are you going to do? You're going to stop coming to church, right? If you walk with Jesus, he will say, I know what it feels like. I've been there too. Out of all of those that I called friends, there was just a few left at the cross when I died in my most painful moment. Or imagine you're walking and you were backstabbed by someone. Who enjoys that, Right? That's quite a lot of relational suffering when someone that's been walking with you turns on you and gives you a knife in the back. But the attitude of Jesus is, I know what that feels like. I've been there too. One of those, the closest to me, turned his back on me. Imagine you go through a season where you feel homeless. You don't know where you belong we don't know where you need to be. Maybe even to the point where you don't know if you're going to have a place to stay because that is such a real suffering for so many people, even in our nation today. But Jesus says, I know what it feels like. Birds have nests and foxes have holes. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So let me walk this through with you. Imagine you've faced death lately. Someone has passed away. Or you yourself are afraid of death. Lean into Jesus, into his attitude. says, I know what that feels like. I didn't want to die. I was in the garden with the Father. I said, Father, if there's any other way. I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't any other way. I know what it feels like, the suffering of death. And then in all of these sufferings, Jesus will continually tell us, I know because I bore the cross. I carried all of this pain that you're feeling with me to the cross. That's what it is to have the attitude and to think like Jesus in hard times, is to look at him who in the flesh has endured at that point of time in history the most excruciating suffering that a human can a Roman cross. So let's think like Jesus. And I love, and I hope you see that, that it's not just in ourselves that we try and do this. It's walking with him in those times. It's knowing his word. It's his spirit illuminating the word for us. It's community around us. It says, come on, you're walking with Jesus. Lean into his attitude. 
and think like him. Secondly, the E stands for expect hard times. Oh, how this goes against the grain of culture, (laughs) our humanistic life and world that we live in, that the most important uh, creature in this world is man and the life that he wants, and there's no other force out there. There are narcissistic notions where things has to be around the self-centric me. Who wants to hear that you've got to expect some hard times? Or the prosperity gospel. And if you know Jesus and you meet Jesus, woof, it's going to be great. It's not going to happen. You can make every day a Friday. It really works well for people in the Western Cape because that's when we go to the beach. When I felt 38 degrees in Pretoria last week, I don't know what that means to them. But you know the prosperity gospel, follow Jesus and everything will be right. You're going to have that promotion. You're going to have this. You're going to have that. You're going to have, because that's what Jesus does. I recently heard the theology of cats and dogs. So the difference between a cat and dog and their theology is, That with a dog, you take care of the dog, you give the dog food, you give it a place to sleep, and this dog says, oh, you must be God. With cats, you give them food, a place to sleep, and you take care of them, and they say, oh, I must be God. That's why I'm a dog person. Any cat persons in the room, please don't take offense. You see this prosperity idea, or just a weak understanding of Christianity. This idea that following Jesus is a complete rose garden walk of just fluff and I can put on some music and when I sing then stuff is just better. I wish it was as simple as that. I really do. I wish I had the power to hit a few buttons and read a few things and do a few things and the suffering is gone. Let's read what Peter says. And I love this. 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Like, ooh, why the heck? A test, a trial, why the suffering? That's how our hearts are conditioned. He said it there because he was probably thinking when these guys face it, they're gonna go, whoa, this is weird. I follow Jesus, this should not be happening. And sometimes what we do in an overly charismatic environment, we think there's a devil around every bush, so it has to be the devil. Maybe it's just the fallen world we are in that brings hardships to us. But what I love most about 1 Peter 4 verse 12 is how he starts. Beloved. Man, he loves you. He loves you. Like a bridegroom looking at the glory and revelation of his bride when nothing else matters, that's how he thinks about you. And that never changes. That's why Jesus died, so that you know just how much he loves you. So the loved ones, the beloved, the people of God whom he so loves, don't be surprised when there's a fiery trial. It's gonna happen. And it's not strange. But remember this, you are beloved. Make that the anchor. Expect those difficult moments to come. And Christians do well when they expect hard times to come, but they do really well and they succeed when they know they are centered in His perfect love. What can separate us from the love of God? Paul asks, can peril or sword or famine or death, and he names a few other things. Can evil spirits, can the demonic world, can our friends, our family, can our, our, our pain of, of backstabbing and offense, can any of these things separate us from the love of God? No. We are beloved. And if we are beloved and we know that, we can ready our hearts and our souls and our spirits when the hard times come, to face it in a way that shows that God is good out in the open. Thirdly, the S stands for seek an eternity perspective. 
right attitudes and right thinking comes from the things that you seek. And we've got to seek something more than this world that we are walking through. We've got to set our minds and our hearts and our spirits on what is yet to come. And we've gone through this before as a church, and we will continue to do it. But at the beginning, everything was perfect, and the story will run until he comes, and everything is perfect again. And we are somewhere here in the middle, friends. So when we are here, let's not forget where we come from, how he made us. But now that life is a life of suffering, let's not forget where we are going. Seek an eternity perspective. He says this, 1 Peter 4, 13, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There is an overjoy, joy that's waiting for us as his followers when Christ is revealed in the last moment where this world will perish and pass away, and he is bringing to us a brand new one. So as you suffer, and you participate in suffering, know this, that there's a glory coming. And if we don't understand this, we'll never be able to suffer well. I'm going to read you this quote. Endurance in suffering can be possible only as one is able to look forward to eternal reward. Believers are able to be steadfast in the most difficult situations if they are aware of the fulfilling and righteous inheritance which awaits them. Peter wants each believer to know that slander, insult, persecution, trouble, affliction, or any type of suffering is limited to the temporal realm and that a future inheritance is yet to come. Christians have the invincible promise of ultimate victory with, which cultivates unwavering endurance. Isn't that powerful? So when those things come, do we think of the winning that's still ahead of us? Do we think of the glory that will be revealed? Do we think of the crowns that will be placed upon our heads? Do we think of the fact that the Bible describes that place of one without weeping, one without hardship, one without suffering? And can we then lift our countenance and say, even if I go through this now, Ooh, I know where I'm going. And I can kind of imagine Polycarp standing there like Stephen in Acts chapter 7 saying, I look up to heaven and I see the heavens opened and the Son of God is standing right next to the Father and that's where I'm going. So set me a light if you need to. If we as a church live there, we'll see our community changed because they'll see people who's unwavering in the most difficult moments. Or do we join the narrative of things are so hard in our country, in our economy, during COVID, in difficulty? Can we have an eternity perspective? Can we raise our countenance to what is yet to come? You see, there are two attitudes towards tests that we get to choose from. It's to have an earthly restraint attitude that I'm just restrained in this earth, or that there's an eternal reward attitude. And I'm going to show this to you by means of a small little example. Let's call this rope the rope of suffering. And let's call that chair the world. So most of us have this attitude towards suffering. That we are straining, and it's so hard because the suffering keeps pulling us back to this perfect world that we want to live in. And that perfect world is coming, friends. It's heaven. It's heading our way. But we kind of feel frustrated because all of the suffering is keeping me away from where I ought to live. And rightly so, because we went through the theology. That's what happened. Because of sin, there's going to be a world of suffering. But we, we want to get away from it. And if we don't, sometimes we, we get pulled back. And we get a little bit closer to the world and our attitude is one of like, man, this is so hard. And some of us actually turn back and like, this is just hard. I'm just going to stay here. But what we were made for an attitude we should have is to strain towards the glory that is coming. But if we constantly live like this, hard times are hard. It's keeping me back. I'm not victorious. I don't have what it takes. This Jesus thing is hard. Whatever it is that we might say, we keep connected to the world through our suffering. But there's an alternative attitude that I want to show to you. Uncle Joseph, come and join me. 
Imagine for a moment, Uncle Joseph represents the father. The way God sees suffering is the father pulling us closer to glory. Disconnect us from the world. It's the father saying, you're coming closer. You're coming closer. You're heading closer. And at some point when he returns or when he takes us home, we get into his arms. And this rope is dealt with. What attitude do you have this morning? Are you only complaining through hard times because it's so hard? Could you maybe change it and say, no. As we read in the Bible, the short and momentary affliction is creating for you a far greater glory. Because the Father uses this to pull us closer to Him. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Peter wrote when he said this. Rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And then my last point that I've been alluding to already is trust the Creator. Trust the Creator. God created this world. He created you. If you meet Jesus, there's a new creation that comes out of you. He knows you. He knows the eternal future you have for Him. Friends, can we trust Him when we go through difficulty? It says in 1 Peter 4 verse 19, the last verse in our text. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I'm sure Peter used the word creator there with massive intent. The one who created everything you see, this very world you're in, trust in him. Yes, it's God. Yes, it's Yahweh. Yes, it's Jesus. It's the Spirit. It's God. But remind yourself that he's a creator. And that the very world you live in in your own life is created by him. But I think what Peter was doing, he was pointing them of something yet to come. I want to take us to Isaiah 65. I'm going to read it to us. Where God says, see, I will create. He is currently creating. Let's read what it is, a prophetic exclamation of what is yet to come. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. That's what he's busy creating, friends. Never again will there be in it. Listen to this. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord and the descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. He's describing to them a city he's building. And for the people of Israel, they're expecting a physical city which they could have maybe tasted some of that if they had lived and followed him correctly. But in his plan and in his prophetic, he's saying, hey, there's something even greater than a Jerusalem where everything seems to be so utopian and good. I am making a new heavens and a new earth. This week when we were up north, we were in Dinner King Game Reserve. And on Friday morning, we went on a game drive as just a thank you for our work 
and we saw a lion. And this was amazing. This lion was eating grass for half an hour. So I knew that I was going to preach this text. So I'm sitting there on the 4 by 4 and I'm like, Isaiah 65, <laughs> the lion will eat straw like the ox. So without any, any lack of uh, whatever in the moment was, everyone started laughing. He says, where is that in the world? I'm like, Isaiah 65, like, wow, who even knows these verses, right? <laughs> so we had a little joke about it. And then we realized this thing just keeps on eating the grass. Like, it just keeps on eating the grass. And one of my friends on the thing says, guys, the rapture has happened. We stayed behind because here it is. The lion is eating the grass. <laughs> but for half an hour, and my brain was perplexed. And obviously, the ranger said, you know, it's like dogs. Sometimes they eat a little bit of grass. But for half an hour, right? But we sat there looking at this lion eating grass. It was, it was weird. But you know what it spoke to my heart? Said, There's a different reality. There's a different reality. Friends, in this morning, we've got to know that we are heading there. Because in this world, we are sojourners and exiles. We are merely walking through it from the suffering that was introduced in the beginning. And we are walking towards the arms of the Father who is pulling us closer. Can suffering become something that we use in our walk with Him to push us towards Him? To believe that he's doing something in my soul that could have never come in any other way. That he's using this so that when Jesus comes, I could step into the full glory of what he has for me. So test. Every time you have a test, think like Jesus. Expect hard times. Seek an eternity perspective and trust the creator. Can the worship team join me this morning? I'm going to take a moment to respond to this word. We have time. We don't have to hurry to the next appointment. I want to take you back to the story of Polycarp. When we hear his story and how God even spoke to him in a dream, and the way that he welcomed those soldiers into his home, we see a man who thought like Jesus. In fact, there's some studies made about Polycarp's execution and the connections with Jesus' own journey. It's fascinating when you go read it, the similarities of this journey. But here was a man who thought like Jesus, and for the sake of Jesus, he said, let me have his mind and not my own. And then when you read his story, you know that he was expecting this, because in that day and age, and for the people living in this day where this letter of 1 Peter was written to, they were expecting to be persecuted at some point, to go through something ridiculously hard. But they kept being pointed towards eternity. Seek eternity. Remember where you are walking to and then trust in the creator, not just the one who made this world and you, but the one who is busy all the time making and creating something new. But you guys know what? Before Polycarp was Jesus and he walked this journey, having to give up his divinity to become man because that was the only way that this gospel could be shared in this world by the shedding of his blood. He walked this road of suffering towards the Father being glorified in the end as he goes back to the Father. And I want to read Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2 to us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, this morning we have a decision to make. Will we follow in the footsteps of our Jesus? Because in this house we follow Jesus together and say, I'm looking at him, the perfect example of what it is to walk through suffering because I'm heading my Father's way. Do you live there? I don't know if you do. Man, it's hard for me. I'll be honest. Yeah, I'll be honest. When those things hit, when the tire hits the tar and the popo hits the fan, man, it's hard, right? 
But I want to believe that this is true this morning. That we can actually live there. So we're going to create a moment for us to respond. Holy Spirit, I am at a loss of words because I don't quite know what you want to do. But I know that your people sit in front of me. Lord, for some, I sense that they've only fallen victim in this world. And you want to set them free from a victim's victim's mentality. And let them know that in Christ we are victorious. It might not quite be as we wanted it to be in this life. But you're going to put a crown on our heads in the end. When you look us in the face with all that glory in that room, you say, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Step into eternity. Lord, and I don't want suffering to trip me up and let me lose out on that moment that I'm walking to. Lord, some of us in this room this morning might just be so linked to the world. Maybe we've put our faith and our trust in chariots or in things of this world and if these things are in place and these things we have, then life is good. But Lord, life is not good apart from you. It'll burn by fire in a minute. Life is not good apart from you. It's temporal. It is momentary. Some of us, Lord, this morning, I believe you want to let us break free from the restraint that we feel in this world. Lord, some of us might have even raised our voices to heaven and said, God, you're not good because of the things I go through. But some of us have alienated people because of pain and suffering that we've gone through. Lord, but all of us need your redemption this morning. And we need to see our Jesus who walked before us to the cross. And you, Jesus, said, here's how you follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow after me. I want you to make a weighted decision. And please, may I say this? Let's not compare the room. It's just not about looking what other people's do and wondering, hmm, I wonder whether he or she stands or why he or she stands. But what I do believe is that God wants to shift some of our attitudes this morning. If you've been carrying a worldly restrained wrong attitude to suffering and you want to say this morning, Jesus, I turn to your attitude and I want to see the Father drawing me nearer in suffering. If that's you, could you stand? I'd love to pray with you. them, Jesus. Change them by the power of your word that was preached and your Holy Spirit coming to them this morning. Change them, Lord. They are saying, Jesus, help me. Change me. I want to live differently. Please do this this morning. I know you will. And it might take some time for us to really live there, Lord, but I pray for the strength to keep on enduring in this race, to keep on hoping, to keep on lifting our eyes 
to the end. The reward of eternal glory that you have for us. We're going to sing together the words of this song. We will build our lives upon the rock of His love. Not upon the things in this world that's pulling us back. Not upon the sufferings. Not being defined anymore by what we believe because of things we go through. But we are a people who build our life upon His love. Because the Father is waiting. And as He is, He is drawing. And He has sent us Jesus. But He has put in us His Spirit to let us walk this life towards Him. So let's sing this prayer as a declaration this morning. All of us in this room, let's stand and sing it, saying, Lord, going forward, this is how I will build, how I will live. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. not hold on to anger. Let us not hold on to discontentment. Let's not hold on to those, those things that hold us back, God. Right now, Father, we put those things at your cross, Father. We lay them at your feet. And Father, we look into your face. And Father, we say, help us, Jesus, to trust you. In no matter whatever we face in God, we ask you, build our hearts Lord, we remove those things, Father God. Help us, Jesus. Remove those things that ensnare us, Father. Those things that pull us back as Pierre showed us. And help us, Father, to walk towards you. Your loving, ever unconditional love. Let us walk towards that, Father. Help us to be brave. Help us to be bold. Not because of ourselves, but because we trust you. Folks, we're going to close up. Um, 
I love the fact that First Peter is called the Apostle of Hope. And uh, some of you are going through suffering and you've lost hope. But he's here, to, the great king is here to give you hope today. And so if we're going to close, and if you want to stay around and have a papa hug from Father God, someone's going to want to pray with you here. Because I must need a little bit of extra Holy Spirit hope put into you this morning, okay? So, yeah, I want to bless you this week with the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the knowing of Jesus Christ. Because that is what gives us great hope in all that we go through. May you be blessed. If you're here for 3D Sunday, join us in a little bit. But yeah, give someone else a squeeze on your way out and uh, share God's love and His eternal hope with somebody else this week. Amen. Be blessed. Amen.